This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta and this is The Pulse. According to the CNIB, 1.5 million Canadians identify as living with some form of sight loss. Another estimated 5.59 million have an eye condition which could result in vision loss. There have been tremendous advances in preventative medicine including gene therapies and stem cell research. But our healthcare system has not aged well and there are persistent barriers to accessing vision care and treatments. And though technology has changed how people who are blind or partially sighted study, work and travel, there are perennial obstacles to accessing services, low employment rates and a clear transport disadvantage everyone needs to come together to address challenges and harvest opportunities today we discuss the canadian vision 2020 summit it's time to put your finger on the pulse And welcome to the Pulse on AMI Audio. You're with me, Joyita Gupta. I think if it's fair to say that if you are a Canadian and you live in the year 2020, your experience is a bit of a mixed bag. We can all admit that there have been tremendous advances in science, technology, and in medicine, as well as the overall quality of life for people with vision loss. It is now possible to treat and prevent blindness in ways that was in, that were inconceivable even 20 years ago. But with all of that change there is a gloomy stability and predictability in that many of the issues that are prevalent and prominent today were issues 20 years ago and if we don't act to remedy the situation they will continue to be issues 20 years down the line i'm talking about things like employment access to education access to public transportation so how then do we bring everybody together get to be in the same room to have constructive conversations and solution focused conversations about where we go next not just to make cures and treatments available to people who might desire them but to ensure that Canadians with any degree of vision loss can lead fulfilling and meaningful lives to help unpack this complex conversation the pulse team is going to be in Ottawa Ontario taking in the Canadian Vision 2020 summit which is a gathering place a meeting place of various stakeholders it's organized jointly by the Fighting Blindness Canada which you might recall was formerly known as the Foundation Fighting Blindness uh, but also in conjunction with the CCB which is the Canadian Council for the Blind and a number of major stakeholders including the CNIB will be at this event and we will be at this event getting to know some of the speakers and panelists but first we wanted to give you an overview of what it is and to help me do that my guest today is Doug Earl the president and CEO of Fighting Blindness Canada. Doug, welcome to the Pulse. Thank you. Glad to be here. So Doug, if your life is anything like my life, a year goes by in a flash and you aren't even aware of the passage of time. You have spent about a year as the president and CEO of Fighting Blindness Canada. What's the year been like for you? It's been absolutely amazing. I've had the honor of traveling across the country, meeting with people who are delivering care, the medical professionals. and meeting with people who are living with vision loss and their loved ones it's been an absolutely amazing year mhm 
and I'm sure it's flown by. You know, one of the things that you might forgive me for doing is stumbling and accidentally calling it the Foundation Fighting Blindness. I know that in April of last year, you had a bit of a name change. What was the decision behind the name change? Well, uh, the Fighting Blindness Canada, our board, sat down and thought about our strategic plan for the next five years. And a part of that was looking at the 200 research grants, there's over 600 discoveries that have been made from those research grants, and realized that we were, even though our focus was on retina, that we were actually having a much broader impact, that our our science discoveries were impacting all blinding eye diseases. So by changing our name to Fighting Blindness Canada, expanding our mission to funding research to accelerate treatments and cures for all blinding eye diseases, we're inviting Canadians that may not have thought that the old organization uh, was where they could make a difference of a disease that they were interested in. So we're now looking at all blinding eye diseases. That, that would be not only the inherited retinal diseases that we know, retinitis pigmentosa, ushers, Stargardt's, but also the leading causes of blindness in Canada today being age-related macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, glaucoma, and other conditions that we, we would like to invite Canadians to support our research, to support our efforts to help find new treatments and, and eventually the cures. I wonder if you would expand on that word, impact, because the impact of vision loss, that impact isn't just felt by the people who experience vision loss. It's also felt by their friends, their family, their loved ones, the social service providers. What is the impact of vision loss on our community and on our economy? Well, for example, we are working with people that are living with vision loss, and 70% of them tell us that they're not finding meaningful work. They're either unemployed or underemployed. In fact, in the age group of 17 to 30, the rate of unemployment is three times higher than people that have sight. So just in that one example, employment, having meaningful work, that's an impact of vision loss that, that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to ease us in talking about the summit that's taking place in, um, that, and that we're going to cover on The Pulse. The summit is the Canadian Vision 2020 Summit. But before we get to talking about it, why is the year 2020 significant for those of us who may not have made the connection? Sure. Well, what we are doing as Fighting Blindness Canada is supporting research that will get people back, restore their sight to 2020 visual acuity. Mm, that pretty, makes sense. pretty amazing year 2020 and that we're able to talk about actually for the first time a treatment going to Health Canada that would be available to Canadians that would restore their sight. Mm-hmm. So it's not just research, it's actually something that could be available to ordinary people. Mm-hmm. Well, that this is year, we're, we're very hopeful this year that Health Canada will approve uh, a new treatment uh, targeting the RPE65 gene that that would restore sight. Mm-hmm. So people that, that have that gene that's causing their blindness, that with this treatment, this one-time new gene therapy, that it, we would be able to generate the protein to help you be able to see again. It's a, it really amazing. It is. 72, 72% of the people that received the treatment during the clinical trials were able to navigate an obstacle course without light. So they were in a dark room, one lux of light, which is basically no moon in the middle of of the summer and an evening, and be able to walk without hitting the wall, without tripping over the step, 
being able to follow the directions through the room. And that's this new treatment that we're hoping that Health Canada will approve and that will be available to Canadians and publicly funded through our health system. The voice that you're listening to is Doug Earle, the President and CEO of uh, Fighting Blindness Canada. Doug, for this conference, you have managed to partner with a number of different organizations. Who are they? Uh, We are gathering members of the vision community, whether they be ophthalmologists or optometrists or people living with vision loss and the people that care about them. Well, we've had a long-standing partnership with a number of the national vision organizations, CNIB, the Canadian Council of the Blind and Fighting Blindness Canada. And on the medical side, we're partnered with the Canadian Association of Optometrists and the Canadian Ophthalogical Society, which is the ophthalmologists. We're working together in order to uh, put on the summit to bring these issues to the public's attention and the attention of our decision makers and government. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the last, I would say, decade at least, we've heard so much talk about patient-centered care and having that patient voice as part of the equation. But it really sounds like, for you, this is more than a buzzword. And that by partnering in such a meaningful way with the Canadian Council for the Blind and other patient advocacy agencies, you're trying to do this in a more meaningful fashion. How is that? I think it's important that we have a united voice. I think together we make a stronger representation to government decision makers. So about it, it is living with vision loss, and that affects the person mm-hmm. who has the vision loss, but it also affects the loved ones and their caregivers too. And we can't lose that as a part of the story. And it really sounds like one of the things that the conference is trying to do is to get the medical practitioners talking to the people who might have that lived experience so that the two things are working in concert. I know that the other component of the conference is three uh, would be three white papers, all in a draft stage, and I'm given to believe that you were able to consult with a number of Canadians to develop these white papers. So what was your process like? Well, the five organizations reached out to their memberships and well over 400 Canadians participated in the drafting of these white papers. The the three topics, one is supporting vision research. Mm -hmm. The second is quality of life, living with vision loss. And the third is equitable equitable and uh, access to vision health care. So we've listened to what are the issues that are facing people in the vision loss community and the people that care about them the researchers, the medical specialists, and we've also challenged them to help us find solutions that we could bring to government. It was an amazing process that we started last fall, and right now up on fightingblightness.ca backslash 2020 hyphen summit, you can actually give your feedback to these white papers. We're going to be talking about them at the summit on February 12th and collecting all the feedback that comes in off the website in order to finalize those draft papers during Canadian Glaucoma Week around March 9th, where we would release them publicly. And these three documents will inform what we say to government, what we say to the insurers that are offering workplace benefits, what we say to educational institutions, to transit, to design uh, the bylaws officers in order to enable that people can live to the full of their ability with vision loss. So it really sounds like on February 12th, you're still going to be working on the white papers. A lot of people might assume that now that the consultation phase is at an end or about to end, 
that the papers are done and dusted, but it, it, it really gives you the sense that this is more a living document that you're working on. They are absolutely living documents that will be open to editing at the February 12th summit. We have three panelists uh, for each of the papers that are going to be responding to what uh, issues and topics uh, that, that they're experts on, but also we'll be feeding back what feedback has come through the website uh, to put it into a plenary at each of the, each of the sessions, uh, the three sessions, and listening from the floor what people say and also what we're able to gather from our Facebook Live. We'll be broadcasting Facebook Live the summit and listening to people as they give us feedback. I think it's very exciting because a lot of good things can be accomplished through social media, but there's something incredible about just getting everybody together in the same room, getting the coffee and the bagels out, early, and, and trying to get people talking about the issues that matter. Doug, the center point of the summit are these three white papers. You've alluded to them previously in the conversation. Let's unpack them in a, in a little more detail now. The first component or the first white paper really looks at the state of vision research in Canada. Give us a bit of an overview. Looking back on the last 25 years, what has improved and what still needs to be done? Well, it's interesting. Vision research in Canada has been at the forefront of discovery, thanks to support from Fighting Blindness Canada, thanks to support from the governments, thanks to support from universities and hospitals around around the country. But there are some barriers. For example, there is not one table where a vision researcher can submit their research proposal to the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, the largest funder provided by the federal government to support research in the country. Mm-hmm. There's 48 tables, not one division. We think that needs to change. In the United States, they have a National Eye Institute, which brings together and sets research agendas for the United States. We don't have that in Canada. There are 13 institutes. Not one of them is focused on vision. There are barriers to vision research that we need to enunciate to government and to be able to to share with. Another area is, of course, understanding the Canadian population. We don't have a, a lot of literature about vision impact in our population. Mm. And so a part of this paper is calling for an increase of that re- type of research. Mm. But previously in the conversation, you sounded so excited about some of the developments in gene therapy. And I believe you said, you know, this isn't just research. It's something that will be available to Canadians. So shouldn't we be optimistic about the state of research into gene therapies and stem cell research? So these are things that could really change the state of vision care in Canada? Absolutely. For example, in, in 2006, anti-VEGF treatment was brought to Canada. In part, some of that research, the under, basic understanding of the biology was funded by Fighting Blindness Canada. This is saving people's sight today with age-related macular degeneration and diabetic retinopathy. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're experiencing bleeding in your eyes, anti-VEGF medication, that research solution, is actually delivering, stabilizing your sight. And if it's diagnosed early enough, in some cases, in diabetes, for example, it it repairs the damage and you don't need to get your monthly injections in the eye. Mm -hmm. Right now, innovative gene and cell therapies are being tried around the world 
And I'm happy to say, because of support of Fighting Blindness Canada, they were brought to Canada in 2019. Mm-hmm. We have clinical trials going on where discoveries from the lab are making the transition into changing treatment options for Canadians. Mm-hmm. The first one has been approved by the U.S. government's FDA and the European Commission and is available for people living with the RPE65 gene. We know that Health Canada is considering accepting that application any day now and to review this treatment to to approve it. We hope we're going to be advocating for it uh, to be approved so that Canadians living with this gene have the opportunity to restore their sight. Mm. And this is only one of 59 clinical trials that Fighting Blindness Canada is tracking around the world that are new gene therapies, new stem cells, new medications that, that are restoring sight. You know, with a, a view to sort of look at this in a broader context, there's a, the fact of the matter is there is a finite amount of research dollars. And in fact, some would argue that that budget is shrinking and has shrunk in Canada over the last little while. How does one prioritize what kind of research to engage in? Do you look at the retinal retinal diseases and sources of congenital blindness, or does one focus on age-related macular degeneration or something like glaucoma, which is the silent uh, robber of sight? So where does one prioritize, or how does one prioritize? Well, uh, (laughs) Fighting Blindness Canada launched its largest uh, uh, research grant competition in 2019. We had over 73 letters of interest to explore ideas that could help us achieve our mission of accelerating the discovery of treatments and cures for blindness. We, we were able to, 48 researchers around the country submitted full applications in August, and we brought together over 20 experts from Canada, the United States, and Europe to review these grants. And I'm proud to say that we announced uh, just in January six new grants. So out, out of the 48, six we were able to fund. There were actually 21 of those 48 that were deemed scientifically meritorious. Mm-hmm. And we would love to fund all 21 of those research grants. But mm-hmm. we're funding one for ushers, one for retinitis pigmentosa, one for a glaucoma. Uh, we, we're developing, uh, with, in partnership with the University of Waterloo, a new test that uh, will allow even babies to age three to be able to test their visual mm. acuity. Uh, that will become a gold standard. Uh, we are funding uh, gene therapy to right to uh, understanding the basic biology, doing a transplant of nerves in the eye. So it's based on good science, but also uh, our Mission Investment Steering Committee looks at what has, what has the opportunity, the best opportunity to make a difference in changing human treatment. Uh, Doug, previously you said something that piqued my interest, 59 clinical trials that you're tracking all over the world. That's impressive. How many of these clinical trials based in Canada? I guess what I'm trying to find out from you is how much of a leader is Canada in vision research? Well, we're definitely a part of the team. So, for example, when I started back in uh, December of 2018, there were no clinical trials happening in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud to say that Fighting Blindness Canada has played a role in, in working with the medical community in order to have these trials uh, be brought to Canada. There's, there's one in Vancouver now, there's a, cu- a couple in Toronto, and we have five up and running in Montreal 
with the goal of getting to 12 Mm -hmm. being offered here in Canada. And and people like uh, Robert Kunikoop, Elise Haran, are world leaders in there, and Ian McDonald out in, in Edmonton, they're world leaders in understanding the biology, what's the cause of various forms of blinding eye diseases, and they're being actively pursued by the biotech industry that would like to bring these lab discoveries into approved treatments for humans. I'm talking to Doug Earle, the president and CEO of Fighting Blindness Canada. Doug, I'm going to put a controversial question to you next. And here it is. So a lot of Canadians with disabilities, including Canadians who are visually impaired, have taken umbrage with the medical model of disability. And they claim that it reduces disability to individual impairments and have gone so far as to say that Disability is not something that needs to be cured or fixed. Now, here we've spent a good chunk of time talking about preventative research and talking about seeking cures and treatments. How do you reconcile those two seemingly contradictory positions, or can you? Well, I I think, uh, first off, we need to understand how we can improve the quality of life of people living with vision loss. Mm -hmm. And and a part of that is research, that, that better understanding will help enable people to live uh, the full to their full ability. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to the second of the three white papers. This one is really interesting. It gets into questions of equitable access to health care generally, but uh, vision care particularly. I think we know that eye exams done regularly and effectively can really help to prevent the onset of eye disease. So here's the basic question. How accessible is a routine eye exam to the majority of Canadians? It's a huge issue. For example, if you're someone living with diabetes, they did a study in Ontario, and they found that 40% of the 1.2 million Ontarians living with diabetes did not take advantage of publicly funded regular eye exam in a two-year period. Mm-hmm. When they worked at a pilot of how to do diabetic screening in order to identify potential vision issues, 5% had already active bleeding. They went immediately to the anti-VEGF treatment. 27% were at risk. They had diabetic retinopathy. And over 30% had other eye conditions that could have led to blindness, cataracts, age-related macular degeneration, glaucoma. Mm-hmm. These are issues around where, where people may not uh, be aware that it is publicly funded if you have a medical condition that requires it for adults. Mm-hmm. And for seniors, it's, it is virtually uh, available through public health that it could be funded. Mm-hmm. The issue is trying to get access to it, that, that you understand the importance of, of taking these steps that enable you to avoid blindness because of the research-delivered uh, treatments that are available today. No, I just want to understand, if you're a Canadian, a working-age adult, and you don't think you have an eye condition, because many of these symptoms, you don't pick up on them until it's too late, are you not dependent on a private health coverage, like a, an insurance plan from work to get that eye exam? Shouldn't that be the kind of thing that is covered universally for all Canadians? Well, that's one of the issues we're talking about at the summit mm-hmm. is that workplace benefit plans are really falling behind. For example, dental services are being offered in more workplace sites than, than the same standard being offered for vision care. Mm-hmm. Yet when we, when we ask Canadians what are the important conditions that they're looking for workplace benefits, in the top three is vision care. Yeah. 
One of the programs that's received a lot of coverage on our channel is the CNIB mobile eye van that tries to deliver these eye exams to remote areas in rural parts of the country. But is that an issue as well, that there's actually a shortage of optometrists and other eye care specialists in these smaller communities? I mean, in general, there's a, a problem, but is that particularly a, a, the issue for eye health and vision research and care? Uh, it is an issue to d- divide between urban and rural there are centers of excellence in our urban centers around glaucoma, around the specialty care that you should have access to mm-hmm. that causes an extra burden. I uh, talked to uh, someone living with glaucoma that was diagnosed about eight years ago and today is, is lost all of his sight. You know, he had to make 59 trips to Edmonton from rural Alberta in order to get treatment. These are the barriers that are that are uh, a challenge. And the last white paper that we didn't really get a chance to get into you know, gets into the lived experience of vision loss, a content that I think we're all familiar with, the low employment rates, the transport deficit, and many other facets. But of course, this is not the end of our coverage of the Canadian Vision 2020 Summit, and we will engage with some of those other topics in more detail in the days to come. Doug, thank you very much for being on the program. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and talk to you. My pleasure. Thank you. That was my conversation with Doug Earle, the president and CEO of Fighting Blindness Canada. We joined Doug to hear more about the Canadian Vision 2020 Summit that's taking place in Ottawa on February 12th. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll bring you additional coverage from the conference. We'll hear from panelists and speakers and bring you their perspectives on the state of vision care and the experience of vision loss in Canada in the year 2020. I wanted to wrap up with the thought of the day. And I think the word that I would pick up on today is choice and impact. Choice is such a key component of living with any disability, whether it be vision loss or deafness or any other form of disability or impairment. If you're a person with a disability, it's important to have choice in your life. Choice as to the kind of treatment you seek or the cures you obtain. Choice in terms of not getting a cure or a treatment. Choice in terms of being able to access education, recreation, employment, transportation. The key word is choice. And the more we work towards enabling choice for Canadians with disabilities, I think the greater will be our collective impact. I'd like to thank Doug Earl for being our guest today and teeing up the Canadian Visions 2020 Summit. The Pulse is produced by Andrika Delanerol. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. And Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. I'd like to remind you that we would love to get your feedback on any of the programming you hear on this channel. Write to feedback at ami.ca. You can also find us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI to let us know what you think about the programming on this show. And of course, you can always give us a call at 1-866-509-4545 and let us know if we can play the audio on the program. Thanks for listening. This has been The Pulse on AMI-audio, and I've been Joita Gupta. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.